0: Did she say pizza? Your ultimate source for chiptons, video game
1: talk, and pepperoni. Delivered to you from Los Angeles and into the digital cyberspace
0: of the 2020s. Pizza power! I want a large thick crust with double cheese, ham, pepperoni. Hey, where's my pizza?
1: Pizza time. Welcome back to Pixel Pizza. You just listened to our chiptune artist of the week. I'm very excited to say we got an artist I've been listening to for a while this week called Megaflare, and his track Fractals kicked us off. And now we are here for our weekly interview, and I'm very excited to be speaking with this guy. He is an indie game developer. He's been featured in The Hollywood Reporter and Vice and was the was a gold winner at the new york games festival and this is Armand novari how you doing
2: hey i'm doing well how are you good thanks super excited to uh not just be here for the game side but also the pizza side i feel like yeah my blood, blood site might be approaching you know some some pizza toppings i eat so much pizza
1: <laughs> oh yeah yeah so many good toppings what do you, what are your top
2: three? Ooh, Top um, toppings. So i I do love a good like spicy heirloom type of uh, pepperoni, but mm-hmm. also it might be controversial, but I am a fan of a good farm egg or maybe some like charred broccoli.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> Never heard egg before. That's a new one.
2: Oh, a farm egg on a pizza. It's it's definitely a a certain type of topping for a certain type of person, but I am that person. <laughs>
1: well, I'm glad it works for you. I do have broccoli though. That's good on pizza.
2: <laughs> oh, now I'm hungry.
1: <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> so I guess on the game side, I like to start off my show by asking when in your life did you know you wanted to work on games?
2: Oh man. Um, Before I jump in, just like, it does involve uh, talking about some like medical traumas. So maybe if anyone's not comfy with that topic, you know, fast forward a little bit. Yeah. Um, But I really knew that I wanted to make games uh, when I was in the hospital as a teenager. Um, When I was 14, I got diagnosed with uh, stage three lymphoma, a type of aggressive blood cancer. and I got pulled out of school and had to go through chemo. And there really wasn't too much to do in the hospital. Uh, So like I taught myself design and tinkered with, you know, making mods for like Warcraft three and really discovered in like the Warcraft three map editor that there's a ton of joy to be had from like putting together this playable puzzle and and making your own little game idea. And that uh, that never left. It's always been a fascination since then. Um, but yeah, it it was a really tough chapter in my teens, and it's something that really fuels me and kind of steers me nowadays.
1: I can imagine, yeah. And I know from looking into you know what you've written and talked about your background, it wasn't like a super straight line to game development. Uh, I know you said you did like graffiti art and then <laughs> we're a portrait artist and a UI designer with YouTube. So tell me about that journey because it's so interesting.
2: Yeah. To some degree, I've always kind of felt a a bit like a a creative outcast. I've had no real formal training in a lot of things that I've done. Um for a while in college, when I was figuring out what I wanted to do, I was drawing portraits. I taught myself portraiture and, you know, maybe considered a fine art path. And then I started applying, um, you know, my my creativity into the design space and really kind of leveraging. Um, at the time I was studying psychology and kind of leveraging empathy to think about, you know, how is someone using a piece of technology to make their life better mm-hmm. or or reduce stress, how can I improve the design to help them in that way? And that led to a a career chapter at various startups and eventually at Google and YouTube um, where I was uh, working on one of the design teams. And around 2018, in that fall, I actually came down with a brain tumor Um, Mm -hmm. and that kind of put everything else in life kind of on pause and really changed my perspective. And I turned to games again. Uh, and that's when I started teaching myself game design more um practically and more intensely and, and realized how much joy there was in making games and how healing it was uh for me, having at that point developed PTSD. And it's it's just a, a craft that brings me immense joy and and a really unique sense of calm. So definitely didn't go to school for it, <laughs> didn't didn't uh You know have any formal studies just a a good amount of time on my hands to experiment and kind of learn on my own that's so
1: inspiring honestly (laughs) to know you went through all of that and you persevered ah thank you i appreciate that i guess were there any games that you played that kind of kept you motivated and going through those
2: times um honestly so many i remember um so uh, right around the time when i got sick there were two games that really captured my imagination one was uh, a game called the movies uh, it was a peter molyneux game where oh, you yeah. you'd like make a movie studio as like a sim uh as a simulation but then you'd also get to like micromanage how movies were made and I don't even think the the game is around anymore, but it it just like blew me away. Like I can't believe this is possible. <laughs> um, and the old Star Wars Galaxies MMO it was just oh. such a interesting thing because you know going through a medical trauma, very violent games was actually like something I tried to stay away from going through chemo, and and they had whole you know character journeys like you could be a an entertainer a musician and still feel like you're on a valid adventure and that was such an interesting perspective for me um so i think those two like really come to mind in terms of getting through tough times and you know similarly games that just kind of let you have a ton of freedom in unexpected ways are just you know where i find myself spending the most time like (laughs) my Myself and uh, one of my best friends, we've, you know, around a hundred or so hours logged in No Man's Sky over the last, you know, couple months, just because it's become like a place to be creative and de stress.
1: Yeah. That that game is one of my Zen
2: games. Totally. For sure. Yeah. And would you say that there
1: are, any sort of skills from your previous endeavors that you were able to take into your game-making philosophy?
2: Yeah, definitely. I The first thing that comes to mind isn't even like a computer-related skill. It's just empathy. Mm-hmm. Um, design, at least in, in the ways that I've practiced it and built a career, is highly involved in, uh, trying to really understand the problems that other people are facing and kind of where a product or a design fits into their life. Um, so there's a lot of like really trying to understand what people are going through in as part of doing your job well. And that's kind of been something I've relied on a lot in making games, um, specifically around accessibility. Um, you know, as a game developer with a disability, you know i'm always trying to think and anticipate you know how how might someone uh with you know maybe it's colorblindness, or maybe it's a, a motility disability or a cognitive disability how might they still get as much joy as anyone else in the game i'm making um so just really grounding my work in empathy is probably the most transversible skill um other things like Some of the actual tools, like knowing After Effects is always going to be handy to like cut a trailer or trim gameplay. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I think the biggest one and the one I could just ramble on about is just having empathy for who's using what you're making.
1: Yeah, that's super important. You know, your work ends up in so many people's hands, and you want it to be uh, equally enjoyable for everyone, depending on their situation.
2: Yeah, totally. And, you know, accessibility features, it's just like so many people use them and and enjoy games more because of them. And it's a, it's kind of a joy to to work on, you know, knowing that your game can be played in so many different ways and, and enjoyed in so many different ways, I think is a really special thing.
1: Absolutely. It is. I love all the strides that the industry has made in the past generation Definitely. Adaptive controllers and just different settings and games and things like that to make make meaningful change.
2: Totally, totally agree. Yeah.
1: So yeah, how does that go into Harlow? Where where did the idea for that surface?
2: Oh my goodness. Um Harlow is It's a a quirky little idea that has kind of stuck around in my head in one way or another for um, a very long time, just in terms of the structure of the gameplay. But to give you, um, for folks that don't know what, what Harlow is, it's a game about a couple robots that are helping guide the last of the humans through space. All the humans are frozen the robots get the humans incredibly lost and, you know, they don't really know what to do. So they just pick the nearest planet and start planning a surprise welcome home party, um, just to make the best out of the situation around the time, uh, you know, to, to also like, you know, still jump into maybe some uncomfortable topics, um, around, um, grief around the time I was, fighting the tumor at the front of my brain and just a few months after that um, one of my parents passed away so thanks it was just you know the darkest bottom of the barrel time and it really felt like I was lost kind of adrift in space without hope and I, I started looking for stories where that worst case scenario you're lost there's no hope kind of situation turns out okay Turns out almost even lighthearted. I was desperately looking for that lighthearted outcome to such a grim situation. And I couldn't find uh, a story like that. So I poured myself into kind of creating this little world for these robots, you know, they're um, faced with a pretty grim scenario, a pretty dark situation. And they, they make it something lighthearted. And that was, enough for me at the time to kind of you know get through the next day and get through the next day and at the time i was uh you know dealing with pretty severe c ptsd a complex form of ptsd Mm -hmm. and it it made playing the game really difficult even the game i was making you know trying to make it very simple it has like a slingshot style mechanic where you fling the harlow who's a round robot around the screen and I was sucking at my own game. I was terrible at it. So I started thinking, you know, am I just like bad at everything? And then it kind of came down to me reading more about um, how CPTSD can affect somebody and reaction time and coordination to something it can affect. And it was kind of this difficult moment of accepting that, you know, I'm have a I'm living with a disability and it's affecting mm-hmm. me in this way. But then I was more concerned about okay I'm definitely not the only person in the world to have this sort of challenge how can I design ways where this game is still fun uh, so that I can play it personally but also you know other people might be able to enjoy it in more ways too so you know it, I use really um, like generic inputs in terms of it not requiring too specialized of a control setup the level design is very forgiving in that there's lots of little pockets for you to find safety. And uh, I was kind of thinking about what might make the, the toughest moments easier. And I came up with an idea called magic aiming where instead of there being like a slow motion mode, that's a power up or a temporary thing. You can just turn it on as a setting so that anytime you're aiming your jumps, the game slows way down and gives you plenty of time to figure it out.
1: Oh, okay.
2: And that really helped me enjoy it too.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that's great that you could sort of find solutions that help you and help the end player.
2: Yeah, definitely. It's, that's, I mean, it's all about fun, right? Like, that's why we make yeah. games.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. And so, I guess. How did that sort of lead you to the formation of your studio? Good Trouble.
2: So it kind of became a natural progression of, you know, doing Harlow, finding collaborators that really kind of see and see the value and the vision of making, you know, accessible games, uh, about making really different games, about not so much trying to, um jump onto a trend but making something that's you know an artistic expression first and foremost Mm -hmm. and kind of just building up more and more confidence in our ability to do that um you know in in the background of harlow i was really supported by one of my best friends um named anthony gibson who is helping you know build out the website and manage a lot of the stuff that is behind the scenes that i wouldn't be able to make harlow possible like without that support and along that journey i was joined by joseph uh joseph burke um who's a musician who goes by Obfusc, who was on the monument valley soundtrack and he did the neocab soundtrack Mm -hmm. and he really saw and understood the vision of what we were making and it was very organic it wasn't ever like we're gonna sit down here's the proposal here's the plan and here's all these hard measurements it was much more about kind of testing and validating that accessible artful games you know deserve to be made and we think that we can actually do that and build them and make more of them
1: yeah and i often find that like artful games are games that go out of their way to be more uh I guess, creative over like challenge can be kind of abstract. Uh, And I mean, that can be more confusing than anything. And I feel like, at least with your game, you're able to balance, you know, a game that is more expressive and artistic, but also, you know, gives you good feedback and good directions and everything.
2: Yeah, I personally struggle a little bit with very abstract games um like i i love you know i'm I'm thinking of one right now that that captivated me and is you know completely an exception to generally not being able to stick with them a game called flow
1: oh yeah just
2: poetry yeah beautiful um but for the most part i feel like it's it's harder to be really captivated by something that's very abstract um Having even like one one foot into a more familiar space, I think helps a game either be more relatable or helps um, either the humor land or helps there even be opportunities for humor that maybe once you're too far removed from reality and references, uh, that maybe becomes more challenging to connect with.
1: Absolutely. Are there any examples of humor in Harlow that you're really proud of?
2: Um. <laughs> there's a there's a little robot on the mothership called leto um leto gets their name from a nickname that my partner and i gave our dog uh whose name is Lee uh, whose name is luca and he's like a little scrumble, you know like a little potato leto and we just like threw leto on as like a nickname to him So I made, you know, a robot named Lito and kind of modeled that robot's dialogue after my dog Luca, which means that Lito has like cluelessly large ambitions and a huge appetite. Hmm. So every time you talk to Lito, they're always going on about like, I have 314 favorite foods and, you know, my 79th favorite is Tadig. It's crunchy tasty rice from Iran like just like finding ways where like this is a game about robots planning a party in space and because all of the humans are frozen and there's not like a legion of robots to interact with it was just kind of this funny like the kind of banter you would hear at a party but just coming from one very hungry kind of aimless robot buddy that floats around and follows you
1: ah uh, that's cute <laughs> I, now I'm trying to think of what my dog would say if he
0: was in a game. <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> Luca Luca was the lap partner for a lot of Harlow's development oh. uh, through the pandemic, just kind of keeping me company on late nights, debugging stuff, and honestly learning how to make a game. So it was fitting that he, he made it into the game some way or another. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah, that's super important. My dog, Robin, he'll often... Be in my recording booth, lying down while doing my podcasts or voiceovers
2: or stuff. Uh, I love it. Dogs are the best. (laughs) Uh,
1: So I know on your website, you also talked about an exercise you would do while you were looking for work. And it was called make X for Y. And I thought that sounded really interesting and I, I was wondering if you could tell me more about that.
2: Yeah so um, in college I you know, was pretty um, unenthused with just my regular coursework so I found myself doing a lot of creative exercises to kind of teach myself various skills like you know portraiture. Um, I would you know, pick a random famous person and like draw them and that's practice. But when I came to practicing design, it was kind of tougher. I found myself like really stumped for, you know, what the heck do I design? Because the design, you know, at least in the form of design that I was most curious, which is called uh, user experience design or UX design, mm-hmm. you're you're designing, you know, products and and flows and websites that people experience. Um, usually to solve a goal or accomplish something um it, it stumped me it, you know because i it's not just what do you make but like is this a valid problem to solve is it an interesting problem that you can grow your problem solving ability by solving so i i thought to myself like how the heck am i going to find you know these practice things to start making so i took two hats um and inside each of the hats, I put little scraps of paper. Uh-huh. And they one of them would be like, who you're making something for. And the other hat would be, what are you making for them? So you might like reach through one hat and get um, a water bottle sticker. And the next uh, thing that you pull out might be the brand Sriracha <laughs> or something. And then boom, you have like a very you know, scoped problem to solve. Like, all right, I'm making a sticker for Sriracha, or it might be make a business card for Drake, or design packaging for the first video game that's around your room. Um, And it became this really concrete way, because if you just mix up the pieces of paper and pull one, you get a new thing that you haven't tried to solve pretty regularly. With very few pieces of paper, um, so that's how I learned how to design. And then over the years, it kind of became a mentorship tool, where you know more junior designers that I was mentoring, I would have them go through this exercise, go you know make a couple hats or make make a couple ziplocs of these pieces of paper. And around the time that I was at Google, um, I really started tinkering with you know, what if this was a, a website? Um, that's anyone can just kind of like go to like if you if you need to do this practice exercise. What if like instead of you know, getting out the paper, cutting out the <laughs> slips? What if you could just go to a website and like click a button? And this was right around the time that the dot design uh, domain ender. I don't know what they're called. I should <laughs> I should know what the end of a URL is called, um, but I don't. And it's okay to not know things. Yeah. Like dot, .dot com .dot net. There was now .dot design. So I came up. Oh, okay. Yeah, I came up with an idea of a website called Sharpen. So it's sharpen.design. It's it's free. Anyone can use it. And it, it makes design prompts, like make X for Y. And there's millions and millions of them now, dozens of millions. And it became like this kind of interesting, weird, quirky project that solved a lot of interesting problems for schools too. So, you know, the Sharpen website, it, has a version for STEM education now um, and it's used in schools across the country to teach creative thinking and creative problem solving and it's just like this this like free side project that i've been maintaining alongside again my uh, good friend anthony who helped bring this to life um but it's just like this this practice methodology of trying to surprise yourself with structured problems and that's that's kind of helps you know practice for me, be like a very fun activity to jump into as opposed to kind of dreading, like, oh, I got to think up what I'm going to do. Oh, it's so much work. It just like takes so much effort out of just jumping in and making something for practice.
1: Yes, I absolutely see what you're saying. I love that. It's It can be so easy to get kind of creator's block, but if you have a specific goal that mm-hmm. you can just generate for yourself, like each one of those suggestions that you just randomly, your examples, I could I could imagine what it would look like or uh, possibilities.
2: Yeah, totally. And and some of those, like we'll get, you know, DMs on Twitter or Instagram, or people will email us like asking for critiques, and it's been a, a really interesting thing to see people making prompts that I've never even considered. Like someone made a VR uh, dating app for senior citizens. And I'm like, and it it was all mock-ups, but like conceptually they explored it. And I was sitting there thinking like, I have never once even considered how to solve that problem. And it's amazing that someone took a shot at it.
1: That is, yeah, that's a a big, a big thing to dive into. (laughs) For sure. So, I think now is probably a good time for us to go to our musical break for the episode, and that is going to be another track from Megaflare, and the track is called Ecstasy, and it's featuring vocals from Nikki Simmons. So enjoy that, listeners, and we'll be back shortly. Welcome back to Pixel Pizza. You just listened to Ecstasy featuring Nikki Simmons. And now we are back with Armand continuing to talk about Harlow, Good Trouble Games, all cool stuff. And so, I mean, also, I saw you design stuff for the Curiosity Rover. Oh, gosh. That's pretty wild.
2: Ages ago. That was my first. Oh, it was. Yeah. So it wasn't directly for the rover, but it was for teams that supported the rover. So okay. uh, at the time I was uh, an intern at an aerospace company. It was the first time I had a job where my my job was to do design work. You know, I'd worked in grocery stores and fast food before then. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was an intern on the um, web team uh, but the internal web team so i was making a lot of internal sites for the various teams to use and some of those sites were to help um, the engineering crews that were working with the curiosity team and that made the um engines to help lower the sky crane down um to help those teams kind of you know manage their own work and i'm not <laughs> you know those those are massive massive teams and i don't know that they had any idea who was managing internal sites Mm -hmm. um but you know they would have needs to set up trackers to kind of keep their work on track and i would cobble together the jankiest php and super super haunted css that it would be good enough for (laughs) them to use um so definitely not uh you know i don't want to take too too much credit but it it was a a moment of flying pretty close to a, a sun so to speak that was very Interesting and super, super challenging. I'm so glad I didn't, you know, make a mistake and butterfly effect, you know, crash a rover or something. Yeah,
1: the rover didn't <laughs> explode.
2: <laughs> Very grateful. Yeah. That would be that'd be a rough mark on the resume that my CSS was so bad it broke a rover or something.
1: <laughs> For sure. Uh and then I mean, this is jumping way forward in time. Yeah. But- When you were founding the studio, I know you said you sought out advice from some uh, bigger, well-known indie developers like Rami Ismail and Felix Kramer. Mm -hmm. And I was curious, what kind of advice did they have to give you?
2: Oh, my goodness. Uh, The best advice. Um, It's interesting that I got. You know, exactly the advice I needed from both Rami and Felix um, in different ways. Um I had I had known Felix um, from contributing environmental art on NeoCab, um, which is a great game that everyone should play if you haven't.
1: Yes. Our previous <laughs> guests, uh Paula and Kim both worked on it. So
2: Yeah. Uh, the writing, the writing in Neocab. I could have a whole session just <laughs> just hyping up uh, that game. Um, but so I, I'd, I'd reached out to, um, Rami initially, um, because I had admired his work and admired the games that he, you know, made with uh, Vlambeer. Oh yeah. And I was kind of stunned, uh, to, to be able to get time with him. And that was really the the first time I reached out to, to kind of get hard advice, to get hard critiques and kind of help me put, um, you know, a, a pitch together. I was at the time, you know, I had something cool going with Harlow at a few good social posts that like people seemed excited about it. And I was wanting to jump in with more of my time to do that. So I reached out and got feedback around the, the business side and the production side of, you know, making a game. And around that same time, I also reached out to Felix um, just to say like, honestly say like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Can you please help me feel <laughs> like there's ground beneath my feet? And uh, they were the the nicest, most supportive um, person to just immediately, you know, set something up and and kind of coach me through my huge amount of just dumb beginner questions, you know, because when you're first starting, you know, when you're first working on your first game, there's like this temptation to kind of Come off as if you have everything under control. But I was yeah. I, I so just wanted everyone around me to know, like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Please help. Like <laughs> and, you know, between uh Felix and Rami, I got some of the best advice of any stage of my career. And it really helped me um kind of vet various publishing deals that uh I was kind of considering at the time, take one of them, finish production and also take steps later on um, in terms of planning out the future of my studio and other games that we're doing. Um, so hey, very, very uh, not enough times do I have an opportunity just to thank them explicitly. So I guess this is a great moment to, to thank Rami and Felix for their advice and time because it changed everything for me.
1: Oh, yeah. Anytime you can just get even like an iota of advice or support from someone who's doing what you want to do it's so it's so encouraging and validating and (laughs) gets you through
2: yeah that's you know that's kind of the magic I feel of a lot of creative fields is kind of this tradition of mentorship and tradition of answering questions to people who are early in their career because not every profession really celebrates that
1: yeah it's very true so yeah, now that Harlow is out, how are you reflecting on it?
2: Um it was really bittersweet to launch that game. You know, it it was the first game I've launched um my contributions on on Neocab were very small, so I didn't have as much, you know, emotional weight behind it. It was just mostly hype to see some really talented people make something incredible. And with Harlow, I had so much deep emotion and kind of the processing and getting through the grief that I used the project with made the launch really emotional. Um, the day came and went and was a blur and kind of felt numb. And then I kind of got right back to work. And a, a couple weeks later, you know, you know, building patches and and working on the. Uh, in various updates and helping with the switch port and all that and then a few weeks later after the launch i realized like wow let's just like pump the brakes (laughs) i launched a game like it's out in the world like that's crazy i can't believe that happened and once the bittersweetness kind of subsided it it turned into uh kind of a belief of like all right there's so much that i could do better in terms of planning there's so much i could do better in terms of the development the the workflows and i feel at the time i felt you know really emboldened to think all right what's next and really feel feel good about that not to, not to just need to get away from making games like i wasn't burned out by it but i felt like <laughs> you know a little uh a little like a mix of emotions a little somber a little heavy but also just like proud and sturdy that it actually happened
1: yeah it's i'm sure it's a a, a a lot of feelings at once
2: yeah definitely whole whole parts of the the emotional spectrum where i'm looking at it like i didn't know that was a color like i've never, I've never felt a <laughs> specific mixture of flavors
1: <laughs> totally and how have you seen the reception of the game
2: it's been really cool um it's been really interesting to see some folks try it and it really click and they really get, you know, the characters being cute. They really get the soundtrack um, being different. It's a very like lo-fi hip-hop kind of soundtrack, as opposed to something with more science fiction vibes. It kind of <laughs> is meant to feel like a party, and it's really exciting to see, you know, some folks really, really getting that vision. And it's also really nice to get feedback from folks saying like, I really like this, um, you know, these accessibility considerations to be able to kind of change how the game is played and, and not necessarily feel like I'm getting any less of the game. Um, so that's been, you know, that was the one of the main goals that I set out for. And I'm really happy that it, it resonated and people kind of got it.
1: That's awesome. That's yeah just see the people got what you were trying to do i'm sure is so powerful
2: yeah very relieving if 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 i had launched the game and everyone was like i don't know why these robots are listening to hip-hop i'd be like well (laughs) i don't know if games is right for me (laughs) so
1: what what are your hopes for the future um
2: honestly to to keep making interesting games that kind of uh either defy or really bend conventional genres i think is really interesting to me that's um you know harlow is a is a platformer but it kind of goes against what you'd assume a platformer to be it's a very chill relaxing platformer yeah and i felt it was interesting that i you know people hear that and kind of think like what. What? It's not like a a white knuckle intense platformer. So I think there's lots of other opportunities to do that in other genres and kind of take mechanics or gameplay loops that are really common in some genres and then change the theme or change the setting so that it feels really different and and maybe like a different genre altogether.
1: Yeah, what can you do to make it fresh? (laughs) Yeah. So, what's something about your personal process
2: that nobody knows? Ooh. Um, my personal process that nobody knows. Um, I think that, you know, maybe it's it's that nobody knows because I don't talk about it enough, and maybe other folks just don't talk about this enough. but things go wrong and don't work so much more than they do work. Oh yeah. <laughs> so a lot of my personal process isn't just, you know, development or making art, but it's also, you know, debugging and kind of understanding how I work and reflecting on how I work and measuring how I work. Um I I track kind of everything I do in terms of was I was I spending time uh in a way that worked out or was i spending was i trying to like fit too much into too little time and now i made errors to truly really try and understand like you know because i'm kind of jumping into to games without any formal education or training so much of that is around figuring out what works and and figuring out why things didn't work so i guess a big part of my personal process is just accepting that stuff is probably not going to work the first time, but everything is solvable. Like everything can be figured out. You know, the creative breakthroughs have not stopped in the world. They will not stop. Everything mm-hmm. can be figured out. You can move a little slower, be a little more intentional. And that's kind of maybe the biggest part of my process that, uh, you know, I've, I've not really talked about or shared with friends or or colleagues. It's just, Things go wrong all the time. Stuff breaks all the time. I have a a second monitor right now, and for whatever reason, all of the uh, X, Y, and Z axis arrows on this object are pointed the wrong direction. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm like, you know, I'll I'll get to that eventually. Uh, I have no idea why it's broken. Things break all the time. (laughs) But as long as you're open to things going wrong and you're open to a little bit of chaos things can be figured out you learn a lot in the process
1: yeah it's all a learning experience every mishap
2: (laughs) every every little mishap oh some of the bugs that i have produced uh have been so haunted (laughs) so very haunted almost haunted enough to leave in the game but what's the wildest bug you've ever found oh man um the wildest bug there was one time uh in harlow that every time you jumped it would make a copy of harlow (laughs) but every harlow would be individually simulated so at a certain time you would just have this sea of harlows these round kind of hexagonal robots with a smiley face on them (laughs) and you would just slowly be like taking over the screen like uh <laughs> like like moss but in fast motion and i almost like loved it so much that i wanted to design levels around it but it did very bad things to uh your gpu
1: yeah i'd imagine it'd <laughs> <trash> everything
2: <laughs> yeah you'd get to about 40 or 50 harlows and then you know, you would really smell like you're trying to cook something on your GPU. <laughs> <laughs> Just slowly melting my my computer's case.
1: <laughs> That's amazing. Uh yes, yeah, so that was pretty much everything I had in mind to ask. Was there anything else you want to talk about today?
2: Um I I love like flipping the script on like, I love hearing podcasts where people start asking questions. So I'd love to ask you questions about that's okay. Yeah,
1: absolutely. I'm totally cool. happy.
2: <laughs> Great. This is, cool. this is not a, a planned thing. So hopefully, okay. things, um, I I've listened to a few of your podcasts and I, and I, I kind of love some of the really heartfelt questions that you ask about, like, you know, what's something no one knows or, or what was this chapter in your life? I'm curious what the mm-hmm. most meaningful game you've ever played was.
1: Oh, that is hard. I mean, I think this is such a a ridiculous answer. Anyone who knows me knows I'm going to say this. So it's obvious. But at the same time, it's it meant so much to me that I feel like I have to use it. And that is Final Fantasy 7. I guess I played it at a time I just graduated college. And I don't know, I wasn't. Totally sure of myself, where I was going, what I was gonna do, and like Cloud is a character goes through so much. People don't talk about it. People think he's just edgy boy with a sword, and if you play the game, you see. Spoiler alert for people who have not played Final Fantasy VII: That's not the full story. The this guy has a voice in his head that's telling him you're a fraud. You're never gonna win and he has a past where he he hid who he was from his friends and family because he didn't think he was a good enough soldier and he ended up taking on the identity of his dead best friend who he thought was like a better person than him just so he could you know feel good about himself and keep going and then he had to you know look into himself and embrace who he really was And it's, it was just, it really hit me hard as someone who has difficulty with self confidence and will sometimes lie about things to make myself sound better. It was, it was a lot of, it resonated with me. And I try, I try to do right by myself now. It's, (laughs) yeah, that's, that's the long and short of it.
2: I love that because it, it's not, you know, maybe a part of the the discourse enough about how much the Final Fantasy games resonate in terms of feeling seen and feeling like it's okay to, you know, feel some type of way about a chapter in your life.
1: Yeah, I could probably name one moment from every game in the series <laughs> that had that effect on me.
2: <laughs> um. I'm also curious to ask, i don't I don't know if you've invited me to make follow up questions, but I'm kind of just going off the rails here, yeah, go
1: ahead. <laughs> I like to fill out the time
2: there you go. I'm curious to know also, um, what has been the most surprising thing about doing this podcast to you?
1: Um that's a good question. And I mean, certainly it's always surprising when I reach out to someone who's like, they would never talk to me and they do want to talk to me. Uh, I think it's surprising. I, Cause I try to talk to people from different parts of the industry, people who have different roles, but it, even so, it seems like there are so many commonalities with how people find their way into the industry and kind of what you were saying about, a comment I've gotten a lot is things don't always go great behind the scenes. You only see the finished product. There's bugs upon bugs. I have one, I had one guest who's really cool, uh Millie Walker. And she posts like on Twitter every day making games. And so everyone can see the whole raw, dirty process of when things go wrong and when things go right. And that's I think in general something that a lot of my guests have expressed so it's cool to hear it's surprising to hear the similarities in
0: the differences
2: Mm. that's a really that's really cool perspective I mean, I could I could sit here and ask you about uh, favorite moments in games all day, but I think that that's all the pressing questions that I, <laughs> that, sure. I that I had that I wanted to throw your way. No, no,
1: good <laughs> questions, good off the cuff questions. <laughs> so then, I do have one more question for you. You've listened to the show. Where is your favorite pizza place?
2: Uh, my favorite pizza place is closed. Oh, um, so I it, it was a a spot in uh, San Francisco um, called Una Pizza Napolitana, and they made heavenly, wonderful pizzas. Mm. Um, So I guess, you know, especially given the pandemic in the context of what's still open, I feel like I find myself making most of the pizzas. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, my my favorite spot has relocated coasts. They're now on the East Coast, which is far too far to grab a quick slice
1: (laughs) I wonder what made them go all the way over there
2: (laughs) oh I don't know but if if the plan was to get us far away from San Francisco they definitely did that Mm -hmm. (laughs) but the the pizzas were just comforting and inspiring and there were multiple times in my life that I um would (laughs) would easily crush an entire one and then consider do I get another one on my way home or (laughs) (laughs)
1: what, what's your, like, when you make your pizzas, what's your
2: recipe? Um, oh, the, the actual recipe. Oh, my goodness. Um, I do a very basic dough. You know, I can't front and say that I have some grandma recipe. Um, if anyone wants a, a foolproof recipe on how to make pretty solid pizza dough, just watch a Binging with Babish episode on pizza dough. Oh, yeah. Um, but I do take some, uh, DOP tomatoes, um, and make like a spicier sauce. So instead of it being a a more neutral or herby sauce, I tend to make a a spicy sauce and that there's some, um, some dried peppers and also some whole peppers that I pulse and blend. Oh, and I'm a big, I'm a big fan of, you know, a, a simple, um, a simple pizza with just good mozzarella and some good basil and uh if i happen to have some like uh man i'm really i'm really hungry right now yeah. <laughs> like, talking about all this pizza um if i happen to have any you know good um types of cured meats to to add to it usually some sort of um like a uh, pepperoni is fine but maybe a sopressata would be fine as well or mm-hmm. some sort of fennel sausage that i can add to it um but just you know, not. If I'm if I'm gonna be making pizza, it's usually not anything too crazy. <laughs> just a very tried and true um, way. Oh, although I do have a pizza steel, so instead of a pizza stone, it's just like a metal version that retains heat oh. way better, and that allows my uh, my humble apartment stove and oven to actually retain a ton of heat to be able to get the uh, texture just right.
1: That's that's smart. That's inventive.
2: Shout out Baking Steel.
1: <laughs> Shouts out. I'll check him out.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm I'm starving now. I, I need to go track down some pizza.
1: <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> well, before you do, thank you so much for joining me, Armand. Uh and where can people find you in your game?
2: Uh yeah. So if you're curious about uh my studio or the games we're working on, or some of the tools that we make, you can check it out at goodtrouble.games. Um, otherwise, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Arman Nobari, A R M A N N O B A R I, or just my website, ArmanNobari.com, has links to basically everything.
1: Awesome. So check them out and we will be ending off with another Mega Flare track, and this one is called Do It.
0: So Ooh,
1: thanks. See you next week. Bye. Bye.